Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. So we're talking this, uh, this series about God moments. And we've been asking the question, is it possible, we've been asking personally, is it possible for me to position myself to have a life that is filled with God moments? And our answer to that has been yes. You can't force them, but you can position yourself to receive them. Today's question is this, can I position my family, can I position my home to where my kids, my friends, those who I do life with, is it possible that my life can create God moments for those around me? Some of you may say yes, some may say no. I would say this, I would say absolutely. The reason I say absolutely is because I know today I'm a Christ follower because I had a dad who could not force me to love Jesus. He could not make me follow Jesus. He could not make me fall in love with the bride of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. But he did, he did position me to where I could have a God moment. And today I want to talk to you real quickly. This is sort of a, maybe a strange title. I'm just thankful for a dad who established God moments for me. And I'm praying that today, I'll, get, I'll probably say this again in a minute, but the, the crux of this message is, is I hope that someday my kids will look at me and say, you know what, I'm thankful for my dad who taught me, and there could be a lot of fill-in-the-blanks uh, answers to that, but can I tell you the most important thing, the most thing I will be most grateful for uh, when this life is over, whether that is in, in 20 seconds or 40 years from now, the, most, the thing I want to hear the most is that my dad gave me a moment to have a God moment. My dad gave me an opportunity to know who Jesus was. I know there are parents, listen, they're, they're, I don't use the word, I, I don't know, I won't use that word. There are parents who are misinformed. There are parents who say, you know what, I don't want to take my kids to church. I don't want to force anything up on them. Friends, can I tell you, that's like saying, I'm not going to take my, I'm not going to put my kids in school or educate my children because I don't want to force genius upon them. You know, you're, you're, not, you're not forcing something from them. You're robbing something from them. Can I tell you, if you are not setting your children up to receive God moments, mom, and especially today, dads, then friends, you are robbing your children. I don't care if they're two or 20 or 60, you're robbing a gift from them that God put in your heart for you to deliver to them yourself. Sorry, I didn't mean to get wrapped up before I even share my text this morning, but uh, here you go. So when here's what's so special to me about being a dad. And the greatest, the greatest job on earth is not, uh, is not pastoring a church, it's not flying airplanes. It's not whatever it is you do. The greatest job on earth, in my opinion, is being a dad. And when Jesus wanted to define the relationship between God and people, how did he define that relationship? Let's look in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 9. Here's our text for today. The disciples had asked Jesus a pretty big question. Here's the big question. Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to relate to God. 
God that seems so far away sometimes. Teach us how to do that. And Jesus said, okay, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. I'm just going to stop right there. Father, we're so thankful that today we can celebrate and honor these earthly fathers that's in the room today. But Father, we honor them only as a reflection of you, our Heavenly Father, because we know every, every good and gift, every good and great gift on planet Earth comes from you. So if it's good, it's from you. If it's great, it's from you. You're the source of all good things. And for those of us in the room that have had a positive father in our life, a father that influenced us towards the things of God, we know that's a good thing that was from you. So I pray we just give you praise for that. But Father, I pray in the next minutes of time you'll help all of us to hear what the Word of God would say to us. If we're a dad or if we're a mom or if we're a single person, today, I believe the Word of God works in all of us. So I pray that all of us will hear the voice, of the, God, the voice of God speak to us personally to give us a God moment so that we could provide an opportunity for others to have a God moment through our life. And we'll give you thanks. Everybody in the room say amen. I found a lot of comfort that when Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, he didn't teach them how to pray like this. He didn't say, oh, great creator of the universe. And when God taught them how to pray, he didn't say, Oh, great one who is far from us, come and meet us. Nor did he say, To the one who holds all the power ever known, to you we pray. Matter of fact, Jesus didn't even say that when you pray, you should pray this way. Jesus' Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be that name. No, 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 Jesus cut through all of that. Though all those things that I just said are true about God. The way Jesus defined the relationship between us and God, he said, here's the relationship. Father to children. He said, when you pray this way, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father. Not just the Creator. Not just the Sustainer. Not just the Father of Jesus. But he said, I want you to pray this way. Our Father. He's not someone else's father. He's our father. He, Jesus is not, not just the son of God. We're all sons and daughters of God. And if you grew up today without a father, if you grew up without, maybe you grew up with an absentee father, understand that human relationships can skew our image of God. As a matter of fact, this week, Megan shared with me a document or article. It was data from the United States Census Bureau that, listen to this, it showed nearly 18.5 million children grow up without fathers in the home, which, is, which in return has led the United States, and you know, we like to brag about how great our, our nation is, and we do live in a great nation, but listen, listen to this new award we've been given. Among all the nations on the planet, the United States owns the title alone as being, as being the world's leader in fatherlessness. That's where we are today. Well, Pastor, does that really matter? Well, according to this secular article, here's what the secularists are saying. That the fathers 
in their respective homes continue to be a key indicator of success for all, all children, regardless of their race, race, their ethnicity, or their socioeconomic groups. It goes on to say that, for example, 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. Dad, if you've ever doubted, does your life make a difference in the life of your children? Doubt no longer. 70% of all adolescent patients and drug and alcohol treatment centers originate from homes without fathers. Regarding poverty, data shows that children without a father in the home are five times more likely to live in poverty than a child that was raised in a two-parent household. Now, listen, if you're a single mom today, I'm not saying that to say you don't have a chance. I'm not saying that to say that, uh, that, that there's nothing you can do, that your kids as a single mom are, are headed in that direction. As a matter of fact, I would just remind you of the words of Jesus that though this is how it is with man, with God, all things are possible, right? So moms, you can break the statistics. How many of the children of God are never in bondage to the statistics of man, Right? 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 So moms, don't go home defeated today. Go home determined that, hey, I'm going to beat that statistic with the help of Jesus Christ. But dads, that is not an escape clause for us. That doesn't excuse us. And it should be no surprise that if Jesus said, when you pray to God, pray like this, what? Our Father. If Jesus defines the relationship between God and humanity as father and son or father and daughter, if that's how Jesus defines how we have a relationship with God the Father, then it should be no, no surprise at all that when the enemy tries to attack the people of God, the thing he tries to attack the most is anyone that bears the image of God, especially who's a father. Because if the enemy can skew the image of a father, in many people's lives, he's just skewed the image of God. Now, every dad in this room is probably sensing there's a lot more pressure on you than you thought about. Because we are image bearers of our heavenly father to our kids. We are image bearers to those who look to us and up to us. As a father, the greatest desire of our life should be that our kids have a God moment. That's the greatest opportunity we get to deliver to them. And, and I said this morning, I'm simply preaching that, that when we get to the end of our life or the kids get to the end of their life, when they, when they surmise our existence today, I, I hope that there are certain things that, we, that they have gratitude towards God that we've done for them. And here's, so I just want to share a few of those with you this morning that I'm thankful for, and hopefully one day my kids will be thankful for if I'm successful. Number one, I'm thankful for fathers who serve as an example. Someone once said, you cannot lead where you will not go. How do you know there's a difference between pointing someone up a mountain and saying, there's the peak, get after it. And say, no, 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 you attach your rope to mine, we're going to tackle this thing together. You understand that's a different lifestyle? Those are two different things. This is Father's Day, so I'm going to be a little bit manly. There's a new movie out. Maverick. Top Gun. 
Some of you have just gotten emotional for the first time today, right? <laughs> in the movie, if you've seen it, if you haven't seen it, you can still listen and appreciate. In the movie, the uh, pilots have been given an impossible task. And so they're flying their jets with these simulators to fulfill this task that they've all deemed impossible, and they fail person after fail, attempt after attempt, they fail. No one's doing it. They're about to scrap the plan, right? Even the commander thinks it's impossible when all of a sudden Tom Cruise, right, he steals a jet, he flies the simulated track, and he does for them what everyone else says is impossible, and the minute they have an example, the rest of them can now do it because they've seen an example. Dad, you are the example of what it means to be a God follower. You're the example of what it means to live this life. You know, in John chapter 15, Jesus lived his life this way. He said, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the father doing. That's what I do. John chapter 12, 49, Jesus said again, Have I not spoken on my own? But the father who sent me has commanded me to do and to say how I say it. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, everything I did on planet earth, I'm not just waking up some morning and said, I think I'll do this today. I think I'll work this miracle today. I think I'll say this today. No, Jesus says, I get up every day and I look at my heavenly father and what he says to say, that's what I say. What he says to do, that's what I do. Well, pastor, how does that matter to me? Here's how it matters to you. Because many of us think when we read the gospel, we see what Jesus did, we think, well, Jesus is the exception. Jesus can do what no one else can do. But friends, he's not just an exception. He's the example. If we will live as Jesus lived and do what Jesus did, which was keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, then you and I can be an example to others as he is to us. Too many people hit the easy button when it comes to being an example. What do you mean by that, Greg? What I mean is when we read something in the Word of God, we hit the easy button and we say, well, that, you know, he was Jesus. He was Jesus, but he was clothed. If you'll pinch yourself, that's called humanity, flesh. That's where that pain comes from. He was clothed in that stuff. And even though he was 100% God, he chose to operate as man. Jesus is not an exception to what God can do someone. God, Jesus is an example of what Jesus, what God can do through someone. And he's not an example to be admired. He's an example to be followed. There's a difference between admiring an example and following an example. Too many Christians today have settled for admiring the example when we've never been called to be Christ admirers. We've been called to be Christ followers. Amen? I want to say that again. You have not been called. Friends, you are in the cheap seats and you're missing the bus. If your whole life is about being a Christ admirer, that is not what he's called you to. That's not what he saved you for. That's not what he went to the cross for. He went to the cross so your life could be changed. So you don't just admire him. You have the power to follow him every day of your life. And friends, when you get beyond admiring him to following him, something, the word magical is not right. So let's say this, something supernatural happens. You begin to produce something you couldn't produce. You begin to produce opportunities for those around you to have God moments. 
Number two, I'm thankful for fathers who create an, an environment for God moments. Now, most of you, when I say things like fathers or men, and then I say the word environment, a lot of you think those two things disconnect. A lot of people think that men don't care about their environment. Well, if you sneak out to any man's pickup and outfit his seat covers with pink fuzzy seat covers, the guy that doesn't care enough about to wash the mud off his truck will care about the change in his environments. Can I tell you that God cares about the environment in our home? Listen to what Genesis chapter 35 says. Jacob told his household and all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Listen, friends, if our homes are to be places of refuge, they cannot just be replications of the environment of the world that we live in. Now, some of you think I'm clothesline preaching. Some of you don't even know what that means, but, but either way, just hear what I'm saying. If the atmosphere and the environment of your home is the same atmosphere and environment as a home of someone who's not a Christ follower, then something needs to change. Have you ever heard the statement that we're all products of our environment? Then the question is, what sort of environment are you creating? See, God has given you a, an awesome gift. He's given you the gift to change the environment in which you leave, live. Matter of fact, Joshua said it like this. He said, if, if pleasing God doesn't seem favorable to you, if it doesn't seem like a good idea to you, then fine. But Joshua says this about his environment. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. In these four walls, he is king and I am not. In these four walls, his word rules the day. I read something this week about a upper grand poopa. That's not the official title. <laughs> In another denomination who said these words, the word of God simply isn't reliable enough to follow. And I would say this, there's no other word on the planet that is more worthy of following. Amen? Paul told Timothy that every word is God-breathed and inspired and useful for doctrine and correction. It's what we change. How, how do we change our environment, preacher? You change it by living the Word of God. Sometimes a better question might be, if I'm trying to create an environment where my home can be a place of God moments, a better question might be this. What's keeping me from having God moments? Here's a few questions. I'm going to say them to you fast, but maybe you can type them out in your phone real quick or write them down. Here's a few questions I'd ask. What's keeping me from having God moments in my home? Number one, are there idols I need to tear down? How many know that idols don't just come in the form of wooden images and rocks you put on the mantle of your fireplace? Most of the idols we face today are the same ones that, uh, that Satan tempted Jesus with in the desert. Things like 
money, power, fame. Most idolatry today comes in the form of materialism, sexual exploitation in one form or another, or self-preservation. And we set up idols. They don't always seem anti-Christ or anti-God. But when they're a substitute for our dependence upon Him and our following Him, then friends, that has just become an idol. Many of you in this room, I'll look at you and you know exactly what I'm about to talk about. Megan and I have gone through the process twice of having a home study done. If you've ever adopted kids or fostered kids or anything like that, how many of you ever know what I'm talking about when I talk about a home study, right? Some of you have been through that. Isn't that exciting? You invite some stranger to come in your house and they tell you what's wrong with your house. And, you know, they come in, they ask you some questions like, you know, where do you keep the bleach and the Clorox and where are the firearms and you know, do you have those little plugs over your house and over the outlets in your house? And they, they make sure your house is kid-proof because, after all, they're about to entrust you with a kid. And so, Megan and I have done that a couple of times. And I just, what are they saying? They're making sure the environment of that home is ready to receive the presence of the one who is coming. If we do an environment evaluation upon the reception of a child, shouldn't we also do an environment evaluation when you're wanting to host the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Shouldn't we invite the Holy Spirit and see you can't go by your own opinion? When that home study lady came to our house, I was pretty sure I had all my dots checked and, you know, T's crossed and all that stuff. And she began to tell me things I didn't know about. You and I, we, I needed a third party to see things I didn't see. Can I tell you, you need a third party to see things about your spiritual life that you don't see. Some of you have been sitting there all morning long and say, Pastor, I'm good. It's like I tell my friends, I tell Megan all the time, I'm funny, just ask me. <laughs> Some of us, that's our spiritual gauge. Oh, I'm good, just ask me. Jesus went on record to saying our measurement of what is good really isn't that reliable. But here's the good news. He sent us a third party. His name is the Holy Spirit. And we can ask him, we can pray the prayer that David prayed. And we can say, Lord, search me, try me, see if there's anything in me that's not pleasing to you. If so, Lord, reveal it to me. Not that I can say, oh, man, I, I shouldn't have done that. But where I can say, Lord, you can cleanse me, you can purge me, you can renew me. More than that, God, you can transform me so that's no longer a part of my life. Greg, why would I go through all that problem? Why would I go through all that effort? Does it really matter? Yes, it matters. Why? Because you're creating an environment so that you and your family can have God moments in your house. Number three, I'm thankful for fathers who exercise their faith together. You know, in Genesis chapter 22, there's a story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham who's called the father of faith, an example of faith. And his son Isaac, God told him, take your son, your only son, who you love, and take him to the top of a mountain and sacrifice him unto me. We talk about a step of faith and obedience. Abraham took that which God told him to take, who God told him to take, 
Hebrews tells us that he started up that mountain fully convinced that, that God was able to, number one, intervene, or number two, God was able to raise from the dead his son if he followed the words of God. And Isaac began to ask. Isaac didn't really know what was going on at the moment. He said, God, or he said, Dad, I see we're going up this mountain to offer a sacrifice, and I see the, I see the knife, I see the wood, and I see the fire. But, Dad, where's the sacrifice? You know, we normally bring a lamb or something. And Abraham just said, God himself will supply a sacrifice. They get to the top of the mountain, and Ab- Abraham does sort of a switcheroo. I don't know how this went down, but somehow he got his son Isaac to lay down on an altar and to be still while dad takes out a dagger and is about to sacrifice his only son. Now, you know, this is you know, the rest of the story, right? In that moment, God provides a ram stuck in the bush, and God spares Isaac and Abraham. But for the rest of Isaac's life, just humor me. For the rest of Isaac's life, when someone asked Isaac, Hey Isaac, was your dad really into this God-following thing? Like, did he really believe that that?" That God was who he said he was. I mean, did he really believe that God could do the impossible? How many of the Isaac had a story to tell? He could, oh yeah, yeah, dad believed it. How do you know he believed it? Man, he believed it so much. One day he strapped me to a pile of rocks and he was about to kill me because God told him to. But he had, I'm just saying he had a story to tell. I'm just praying, God, let me live my life in a way that my kids have a story to tell. Amen? Let my faith not be some little thing I keep under the cupboard of my house. Let it be something that my kids recognize, drive my life, and when my life is over, they got a story to tell because Dad was a man who walked out his faith thankful for fathers who exercise their faith together. Look around this room. I see some men who I know you you exercise your faith with your kids. I've seen you bring them to church. I've seen you serve together. I've seen you give together. I've seen you pray together. Those are just some tangible ways that we can make sure our faith isn't just something we have. It's something we exercise with our kids. Number four, I'm thankful for fathers who extend grace. I'm supposed to be done in three, Megan, three minutes. So, Megan, if you want to come, that'll trick people into thinking I'm going to finish on time. I'm thankful for fathers who extend grace. I wish I could tell you that if you will make opportunities for God moments in your home, I wish I could tell you, if you'll do that, your kids will... Choose to serve God the first time, Scott, the first time you tell them about it, your kids will choose to serve God, and they'll never falter. They'll never walk away. They'll never doubt. That's not how it always happens, though. So I'm thankful for fathers to extend grace to their kids. 
And extending grace isn't just letting people get away with what they want to get away with, right? Jesus told a story about a father who had two sons. And one of the sons said to his dad, you know, Dad, I would, I, my life would be better off if you were dead. But since you won't die, would you just give me everything that I would receive if you were to die? You just go ahead and give it to me right now so I can do what I want to do, how I want to do it, when I want to do it, and where I want to do it? And his dad said, sure. So he gave him his portion. He went out. He, owned, he, he blew it on riotous living, partied it up for a while. Famine came to the land. Now he's doing the one thing that's most disgusting for Jewish people to do. He's living with the pigs. He's so hungry. He wishes he could eat what they ate. I've never been that hungry before, but that's what he's doing. In the middle of his pit, of depression and sin and disappointment. The Bible says he comes to his senses and he says, man, even the service in my dad's house don't live like this. I'm going to go back to my father's house. I'm going to tell my dad, I'm not, listen, I messed up. I'm not worthy to be called a son, but just let me be a servant in your house. And the Bible says, you know the story, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway, that while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him. Which lets me know something. When if the father was plowing, he was plowing looking for the son to come home. If he was sitting on the front porch, he was, or sitting on the porch, he was sitting in the way facing the driveway. He wanted to see his son. He extended grace. Part of his grace was this. He expressed a little bit of tough love. A little bit of, son, if you'd make your bed, you got to sleep in it a little bit. But he also, the moment the son was repentant, he welcomed him back home. Listen, I know you already know this, but I got to say it anyway. If you restore a son or a daughter, if you restore them before they repent, all you've done is given permission for that sin to continue and flourish and do more damage. You're kind of quiet, so maybe no one's ever told you that before. Some of you think you're being a great father because you keep rescuing the unrepentant. It's, it's the father's heart to do that, but you're not helping anybody. Because there's one thing a father can't do. I wish I could father can't change the heart of a son or the heart of a daughter but what he can do is he can pray for him and he can extend grace to him the moment that heart repents I don't know about you but if you're looking for someone who at some point needed the father's grace to extend to him I'm exhibit A and I'm thankful my God I'm thankful my heavenly father and my earthly father both Neither of them bailed me out, but both of them welcomed me home. And your Heavenly Father this morning, if you're away from Him, He will welcome you home. And He'll restore you when it follows repentance. Thankful for dads who extend grace, and I'm thankful for fathers who expect greatness. I'm not going to preach that point to you, but I'm just here to tell you, Jesus thinks the world of you. Psalms 
139 talks about how God formed you while you were still in your mother's womb. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not an accident. You weren't supposed to be someone else or something else. God knows that he made you on purpose with a purpose for right now. He's been speaking things over you. Today, I want to ask you to bow your heads real quickly. Near the room this morning, and perhaps the father figure in your life was a skewed image of the person of God. Listen, there's no perfect image. We try to be. Good fathers try to be. Godly fathers try to be. But there's no, there's no perfect image. But, but for whatever reason, you say, Pastor, I've just, through hurts, through dis- whatever, I, I've looked at God a lot of ways, but I've never really looked at Him as my heavenly Father, the God who loves me and adores me and commissions me and purposes me and redefines me and restores me. I've never really looked at him that way. I've seen him as a lot of different things, but I've never really thought of him as my personal father, my personal savior. Can I tell you this morning, he is calling your name. He is calling you by name to say, come on home today. Quit running from me. Repent and I'll restore. Come home and the pain of yesterday can be healed. Did they say, Pastor, I, I need to come home to my father? Let me just lift a hand real quick. That's me, Pastor. Pray for me. I'm away from God this morning. I know I need to repent of some things. I know I'm not right with God, but today I need to make some things right with God. Amen. Amen. Secondly, today, in just a moment, I'm going to ask every father that is willing to come and join me across the front. Not right now, but in just a moment. And when, we, when I call the fathers forward, dads, here I want you, here's what I want you to pray. I want you to pray when you come forward. What is that one thing you're helping your son or daughter says in remembrance of you? Is it that you served as an example is it that you created that environment? Is it that you taught them how to exercise their faith? Is it that you spoke good things into them and over them before they would even say it or expect it themselves? No, it doesn't matter what it is. But in just a minute, I'm going to call you forward. That's what I want you to pray over, that God, you would just so, so establish that in me that it becomes unmistakable to those who are following me, whether my kids are 60 or 6, that they see this lived out in me. Well, before I ask the dads come, there are a few that raised their hands and said, listen, I'm away from God today and they need to come home. I'm thankful the word reminds us that if we're, if we will simply confess our sins, that God will forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from everything that's not right. If we believe in our heart that Jesus is who he says he was, he did what he said he did. And right now, he's being who he said he would be, that we can have life and life to the full. So I want to ask everybody in the room to say this prayer with me. I want to ask you to say it loud enough to encourage the person next to you so they can hear it because this might be them saying this prayer for the first time. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for introducing me to a Father who loves me, my Heavenly Father. And today, I rejoice that my Father loves me. 
He longs to restore me. He longs to forgive me. He longs to set me in the family of God. And that's what I desire. So today, I repent of my sin. I ask you to forgive me of my past. And from this moment forward, I'm going to follow Jesus. From this moment forward, I'm going to strive to follow the Word of God and not just my own desires. From this moment forward, I'm going to plant myself in the family of God. From this moment forward, I'm going to live for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give the Lord a hand clap with those who are coming to know Him today? And I do want to invite every dad in the room, if you will, and would you join me by standing, and every dad, if you'll come to the front, I want to ask the rest of the congregation to pray for the dads. So dad, if you'll just come, join me, come as close to the, pull, to the uh, platform as you can so people can come in behind you. You know, I don't know a lot about each of these men standing across the front. But most of you I know well, just well enough to say, if you had to choose between leaving your kids a nice home or a legacy of faith, what would you leave them? legacy of faith, right? I know these guys just enough to say, hey, if your kids could only remember or have the money, fortune, and fame, or have a clear path to follow Jesus, every, almost every one of these men, if not every one of these men, would choose, hey, I want to I leave that which lasts and leave that which matters. So today, guys, I just want to ask you to join me in praying that God, would you establish firmly in me that which would lead those who follow me directly to the heart of God. The congregation, would you stretch your hands towards these men and pray that over them. Father, I'm so thankful for the men of this church, especially the fathers that are standing around the front this morning, perhaps those even watching online today that weren't able to be here. God, I pray that today that you will establish yourself firmly in us like never before. God, I pray that right now if there is any idol in any of our lives as fathers that has tried to skew the image of God, any attitude that has tried to skew the image of God to our children or to our, our followers, God, I pray that today those idols will be revealed and torn down, that when our kids look at us, they see a clear path to the heart of God. When our kids look at us, they see a clear example. When our kids hear, look at us, they hear encouraging words. When our kids look at us or think about us, they remember of the good things that we have spoken over them. That when people look at us, God, they remember and they know what to do in their hour of stress because they can remember what we did together in our hours of stress. So, Father, I pray, Lord, these men, from the youngest to the oldest, these fathers, from the youngest to the oldest, that they would blaze a clear path that leads straight to the heart of the Father. 
God, help us be good fathers to our kids as you are to us. Help us follow your example every day. So, Father, I pray with these men today. God, I pray you will bless them. I pray you will use them. I pray the anointing of God just saturate them. I pray they will leave this front knowing that they have a message to tell, a life to live, and a legacy to leave. And I pray they'll do it effectively and that generations will be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Would you all give the Lord a hand clap for his word today? We love you, Father. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Happy Father's Day. If you're a guest today, I'd love to greet you and meet you. I'll be in the portion in about 60 seconds. God bless you. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Have a happy Father's Day. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you're ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.